Hello, Sunshines. This is Hello, Sunshine. With Jana. And Keith. And with that, we want to welcome you back to part two of our discussion around the mental health system in America. So in the last episode, Jana and I talked about how mental health has gradually become more recognized as a medical issue in the mainstream. And we had a very special guest, Jana's friend, Bailey, who is in fact a mental health professional. With that being said, I must stress, as Jana and I do in every episode, the two of us are not mental health professionals. Take what we say with a grain of salt. Bailey, on the other hand, eh, yeah, you can take her more seriously. But that being said, let's take you right where we left off in the last episode. Do you feel like facilities like this facility are actually genuinely helping people? That's honestly, that's a great question. Um, I feel like it's a very, very fine line because the facility itself could be great, but at the end of the day, I feel like it's who's working there. Right. Um, because like I said, our program is not meant to be long-term. It's a cute. It's supposed, it's a cute. It's, it's yeah. supposed to be short-term, like try, you're here, you're working on your recovery and you're, you're moving on. Um, but you've also seen, I've seen people who really at first had no intention of moving on. They were just kind of like nesting this. Is, no, I'm, I'm cool here for a while. Right. Kind of thing. And then you're like, okay, if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna work on anything, then we're going to find another place for you. And then it's like, oh, okay, I'll do something now. It's because it, a lot of people come in and they're like, oh, I have a good here. So I don't really, I don't really need to work on anything. Um, I don't need to better myself if to make it clear and it's like once again that can become really frustrating um but i lost it i had a good point and i lost it <laughs> that's okay <laughs> oh, okay yeah here back to um not wanting to work on anything and also kind of taking advantage of the system a little bit like mm. they're receiving government help and they have no intention of letting that go so it's like, I don't really need to be a contributing member of society because I'm getting handouts. I'm getting help. I'm getting free money. And it's like, actually, no, you're not. That's taxpayer money. You're getting our money. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's kind of where the system fails people a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why a lot of people have issues with mental health, like especially outsiders who don't really know anything about it. It's because, well, my taxpayer money is going to help these people who actually don't want to do anything with their lives. Right. And believe me, I can understand because it is frustrating. And I've seen it firsthand that people have no intention of letting go of their benefits and working the system. Right. And it's like, if, if these mental institutions didn't exist, where do these people go? And like, exactly. I feel like statistics will probably say they'll probably end up in another kind of government institution, like a jail or a prison, cool. mm -hmm. because if, if there are a lot of people out there that have untreated mental health issues that end up getting mm -hmm. themselves into some pretty sticky situations. So it's yep. like, I think having these institutions is great, but is the quality worth anything? Like, is well, who who's benefiting? Like, who? Ex exactly. Exactly. Because, yeah, they're off they're off the streets, quote unquote, but like, are they really being helped the way that they should? And it it's 
very interesting you bring that up, Jana, because like I've talked to a lot of people about it, like the idea of state hospitals. They you don't really see that many of them around anymore because they got shut down years and years ago. I think Pennsylvania, I did a little research. Pennsylvania has six state hospitals that are currently opening or open and running. However, they're I, they're probably not that easy to get into. Mm. And the problem with the state hospitals was that are they private? The staff, it's like private the, so they can get away with stuff that. Yeah, well, exactly. And the staff was probably very incompetent, didn't know what they were dealing with, had no probably had no mental health background. It was just a paycheck to them. Um, well, that's actually a lot of people in mental health. A lot of it is just a paycheck um, making money. And that's also, I'll get into that in a second, but going back to the state hospitals, um, unsanitary conditions, things like that. It's like not run well, like not run well at all. But instead of trying to fix the problem, they were like, okay, we're going to get rid of the state hospitals. How about no? How about instead of trying to get rid of it all together, we fix what's there. Right. And see, we get competent people in who actually care about working with this population who have the background who have the knowledge to work with these people um and yeah make sure that people we bring in are like yeah once again functioning and can or staff i should say are functioning and able to put their best foot forward in like treating assessing working with these people it's and i know that's probably that's easier said than done but i feel like that's a lot of that whole notion of no, we're we're just going to get rid of it. We're not going to talk about it ever again. Don't even think about bringing it up. It was a really really bad idea. It failed. Okay, learn from it. Learn from it. Don't right. just don't just let it go. Well, and it's uh, I don't know if you've heard of this, but uh, recently in the news, this is not necessarily like a mental health institution. This is more of just like a state institution, which I think the idea behind them is creating a place for lots of people with issues to be taken care of or, you know, people that society deems deviant or, you know, they don't want to deal with or can't live within society. But in the news recently in Canada, there are these residential schools where indigenous children, uh, of like Native American tribes were taken to go to school there and live there until like, I guess, high school age. And recently they had found like a burial ground of like all of these children oh, that I did see had died at these homes. This is new to me. Oh my yeah, God. It's, it's very, it's, it's a little intense. It's an intense story. Yeah. Again, this is a little off topic, but it, it kind of connects to this conversation of like the system, like, mm-hmm. Uh, The whole point of it was to indoctrinate Native American children into like white Canadian society. So stripping them of their culture, their language, um, promoting a religious lifestyle and kind of similar to like mental health institutions not everybody there was was nice or had good intentions. And mm-hmm. these were very vulnerable people, similar to the, the consumers that you deal with. It's a vulnerable population. And I Especially watched... when they have trouble expressing, like, just communicating to you. Like, that, right. 
that is something that can easily be taken advantage of. If you can't, if you are someone who can't necessarily speak for yourself and you don't have any other modalities of communication, that severely impacts overall quality of life. Absolutely. Yeah. And I watched, so I saw these articles about this recent discovery of, of this graveyard of children that had passed away while being at these schools. Now, these schools were around from like the 60s, and I think the last one closed in like the 70s. So it was a pretty good chunk of time that they existed. And um, there's this documentary called We Were Children, and two survivors who like went through the schools and later on like moved on to, to live in their adult lives talked about the trauma and the things that they went through because of a state institution that was supposedly trying to help them, but it was trying to whitewash them, like, you know, beating children for not speaking English or French. And I also watched, like, at the end of this, this it's a very, very good, gripping documentary. It's on, I believe, Amazon Prime uh, or On Demand, I, or HBO Max maybe, but... I remember at the end, there's like, I guess at the time, a couple years ago, like one of the prime ministers of Canada, like finally makes a comment in front of like Canadian Senate members and like formally apologizes to the Native Mm -hmm. American people uh, for for these residential schools even existing. And it's like, Mm -hmm. do you really think that you making this statement is in any way, shape or form going to like forgive what you've done to these people. Like, listen, Mm -hmm. I get it. There are people in this world, like it takes a very special kind of person to help people that struggle in those ways, you know, but it's disappointing when there are people that should not be in that profession Mm -hmm. are dealing with children, dealing with elderly, dealing with people, like people who are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like it's, yeah. it's disappointing to me. Cause that's where I feel like that's where the government and the state is, is, is losing us. Oh, um, 100%. It goes back to people who work in the mental health field. A lot of us don't have that background and that's what makes providing service so much harder. But then you kind of have the other side of just getting people to work, especially with our programs right now, um, we are severely short-staffed. It's it's a problem because no one wants to work and it ends up us having to cover other houses, other programs. It's like, like I said, it goes back to burnout. It's like, it can get very taxing on you because no one wants to work. Or when you bring someone on, they see what, they go into one house, they take a look at everything and they're like, nope, I'm out. I'm, I'm not going to do it. Not worth it. And how long until Especially- that turnaround? I'm curious. Oh, so- That's a good question. If I had an actual statistic for you, I would. Um, but it's, yeah, the turnaround is, ugh, it's not good. I'll say that. Um, especially, it also depends on like, like my, my house specifically probably has the best retention rate of staff um, because it is only three people compared to other, the other houses in my program. Um, one house has six consumers, the other house has 10. So I'm sure you can imagine all that goes on. Um, and 
just because we're so short staffed, especially at my house, we it's okay for us to be single staffed. So basically that means like if I were working, if I was supposed to be working with another person, if another house was in need, uh, like desperately needed staff, me or my coworker could get pulled to go work at that house. Um, and a, a wall. Oh, this also reminded me of another point. My house is the only one in my program that requires a degree to work there. The other two don't. So that should say a lot about what's what the system is like and who who's being hired. It's quantity over quality. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. It's and, quantity over quality. And it's scary because it's so weird. The parallels of what I'm hearing from you into like childcare. Mm -hmm. Again, we're so getting off topic and I apologize because <laughs> Keith's the one who's going to have to edit this later. But <laughs> it is a point that I think it's important because obviously every system in existence, whether it's mental health, physical health. Um, it has its flaws. Every it system work. has its flaws. It needs work. It needs just to be updated. You know, I see the parallel so much in, in childcare because it's the same thing. It's like we want to make money and mm -hmm. we want to get as many kids in there as possible. Uh, and similar to like what you just said, your comment about single staff. Um, there's a ratio of how many adults are supposed to be with a certain number mm -hmm. of children. So like babies, yeah. for example, it's like a one to four ratio, one adult per mm -hmm. four infants. But things happen. Places mm -hmm. are understaffed. You might get pulled into another classroom and, and, and switch around. And these are the things that happen behind closed doors that instead of fixing the problems, like instead of maybe like allowing there to, you know, taking on 10 more students or 10 more kids or 10 more patients, yeah. why don't yeah. we work on the clientele we ha already have? Yeah, exactly. Because Get some more staff in here before we start bringing in more people, because like more clients at least. Because guess what? There's going to be more children. There's mm -hmm. going to be more elderly people. There's going to be more people with mental, developmental, interpersonal, mm -hmm. behavioral disabilities that reap the benefits of these government institutions. That is never going to change. Mm -hmm. You're right. But the system is, is flawed, essentially. So I think it's important to kind of bring everything full circle. And Keith, please feel free... I've talked a lot this episode, so please feel free to interrupt at any time. I was going to say, that. I have a good segue from what you're talking about into kind of like my next point going on here. Right. I just, I think that anybody who is going in, like we're going in boys, like we're going in. If you are about to start your mental health journey, it's good to go in being aware of these things mm -hmm. and just so that you have your own personal understanding of like, okay, this isn't a perfect system, but it's important to advocate for yourself and to, if you got a good doctor, stick with your doctor. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know where I was going with that. Please delete that entire portion. <laughs> I know. I liked where you were going with it. I don't know. I liked where you're going as well. Oh, okay. Can I I'll bounce off of you just by saying that, like, yes, the, like, while, like, government help, like, the system in general definitely needs work with a capital W. Um, but we also need to take a look at the general population. Looking at the general population we they're also severely 
undereducated. They, I think of it like you look at Instagram, you look at Facebook, you look at any social media platform that starts talking about mental health. When you kind of look at it, it's very surface level. No one really goes beyond depression, anxiety, panic attacks. No one's talking about schizophrenia or BPD, bipolar disorder, psychosis. No one's talking about that stuff because they don't know. They don't know. And that I think also because that insinuates stigma and by like you don't want to look at this population because that means like if you I think to some people it's like, oh, if I look too deeply into this, then it becomes it becomes way more apparent. And those are things that you have to think about. And a lot of people, especially I will say that like mental, obviously, yes, the mental health system needs work and staffing. I would say it's very half and half. You have people that do care and want to make a difference. And then the other half, maybe not so much. However, the people who maybe are making a difference, I, I shouldn't say it probably relates to all staff. Then you have the general public coming at you for voicing your opinion saying like, how dare you talk about that population this way? Like, I can't believe you would say that. And it's like, we're directly working with these people. You don't know the half of it. If you think you can do better then you come work with them and no one's signing up. So you really, I think that's where my biggest problem is, is people make these uneducated and judgmental assumptions and, but they don't actually look big picture. It's very like, well, no, I'm going to judge you for what you're actually doing. I'm not going to do anything about it. Why should I do anything about it? And that's probably very assumptuous of me to say. I'm sure not everyone's like that. But at the same time, it's like you have to like social media definitely comes into play with mental health. And it's like if you see what's on there, like, okay, okay, yeah, we're like, of course, depression and anxiety. Those are huge, huge topics. Yes, we need to focus on that. Um, But Link in the bio for our, our social media mental health episode. <laughs> I was just about to say that. I was about to put in that plug. No, no, Keith, do it. Put in the plug. Hey, so we have a social media episode of the podcast. If y'all want to listen, go check it out. <laughs> hey, hey, well, <laughs> you can bring up what I'm saying, but it like, once again, yeah, very surface level. No one's looking outside what's, I guess, what's most apparent. Because when people think mental health, they think depression, anxiety, like those are right. probably the two biggest things, but no one ever thinks about like the, the other population, it, the other populations that maybe aren't, that definitely are not talked about as much. So no one knows that much about it. People probably think of schizophrenia and be like, oh, that person's crazy. Yeah. And a lot of the time too, I've noticed that people tend to rope together schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorders, bipolar, mm -hmm. like they kind of treat them all the same. And also too, they're all different things. There they're are certain health issues, like mental health issues that have different names now that are, have been, there's such a thing called as the DSM, which is the Diagnostic uh, Statistical Manual. And mm -hmm. it's been updated every few years. We're on to DSM five and, oh, I, um, yeah. You know, like autism, for example, used to be called something completely different in the 60s and is now mm -hmm. called autism spectrum disorder. Um, Asperger's is no longer a term used. Mm -hmm. It's now autism spectrum disorder. And you just lie somewhere on 
the spectrum. The spectrum. You may, you're maybe higher on the spectrum because that's right. also an interesting point. They've also eradicated the use of high functioning, low functioning. Exactly. Because that, that insinuates that like, oh, oh, I'm high functioning. So like people are going to treat me like I'm normal. Right. And, and that's the thing. It's like, what is more common, what is more digestible, which is more uh, relatable is anxiety, depression, panic attacks, because they do happen. But there is this huge population of people that we're not talking about. And Mm -hmm. those are the clients that you deal with. And that's why I'm just so, the reason I've talked so, I'm so sorry, Keith, that I've talked this entire time, but this is something I'm so- Don't worry, I'll just cut your mic the next episode. so (laughs) fine. I I won't even show up. Um, I will literally just eat popcorn in the corner. Um, But that is one of the reasons why I am so just like jazzed up about this topic and this podcast in general, because these are conversations, the ones that we're having are ones that I don't hear in general. Like I don't hear people talking about like what it's really like uh, in one of these institutions, what it's really like to, to be somebody living with schizophrenia and living with um, these disorders and what that means. Because a lot of people do think they see the extreme mm-hmm. end of these disorders, whereas like mm-hmm. you are dealing- They see the worst. They only pick out the worst. Right. And it's like, not. Ev- I almost think of, uh, I, I think of depression and anxiety and, and those things as well as, uh, you know, the other issues- that we've discussed today as like they're on their own spectrum too. Like sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you may be depressed, but it's not like you might not feel the need to get therapy or medication yeah. and you, or, you know, and, or maybe your depression or anxiety gets better. Lots of people outgrow anxiety um, mm-hmm. in life and everybody is at different levels. Mm-hmm. Everybody is at, is just on their, like I keep saying on their own journeys, mm-hmm. but it's, I think it's important to have these conversations and educate ourselves on, you know, beyond the scope of like, you know, Instagram ads. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you like so you much for, you, of course, not to digress too much, like make sure you're looking at the person first. And this kind of goes for all types of like healthcare related issues, whether you're involved in some kind of rehabilitative therapy, whatever it is, whatever your position in society is going to be. Look at the person first. Don't always look at what they can't do. Focus on what they can do. Amen, sister. (laughs) Oh, so good. So true. (laughs) No, that actually sort of, uh, I was going to ask one more question and that kind of fell in line with it. So I was going to say, ask, ask away, go for it. I was like, what advice would you have for anyone going into the profession? And that was actually sort of perfect. Yes. I love how that works out. Oh, good. So, you know, you you didn't need me for this episode. (laughs) I'm so sorry. You deserve to beat me up after this. (laughs) No, no, no. Definitely share with you guys this, um, a large part of what I do also, like, especially if maybe someone's symptoms kind of get a little out of hand or they like things happen, obviously, sometimes the meds just aren't working. Sometimes it's a bad day. It could be an accumulation of all these things. 
sometimes we have our guy, they go into what we call crisis. If they engage in self-harm or if they are like a risk to others, like, are they going to hurt somebody else? Um, but this is also just kind of like a little, a little caveat to just keep in mind. Um, when you are, when something like this does happen, just remember, like you can only do so much. And this kind of, um, I did mention to Jana earlier about like maybe leaving you guys with something, um, that I learned about recently in my program, but this is called the mental health first aid action plan. And I feel like it can be applied to a bunch of different populations. So obviously the first thing you want to do is just assess for risk of suicide or harm. That's like, that goes without saying, but I think this is definitely important to know. So starting that conversation, definitely make it private, make it private. You don't want to be in an area that's going to set them off even more and like open the conversation as naturally as you can. Maybe do more open-ended kinds of questions, kind of things, get them talking. But then you got to ask the hard question. You got to ask it. And you can't really, especially with this, you can't beat around the bush. You need to just ask directly, are you having thoughts of suicide? Are you thinking about killing yourself? The answer is yes. Then you can start asking the follow-up questions. Like, do you have a plan? Because things like that, especially if you phrase it like, you're not thinking of killing yourself, are you? That comes off very judgmental. Oh my and that God. Can make yes. it worse. So you need, especially with things like that, you need to be direct. You're not, you're not gonna kill yourself. Don't say that. You're fine. Like it, what do you like? Why do you feel that way? Kind of thing. So take all, which kind of goes into the next point. Listen non-judgmentally. Mm. Like mm. listen to what they have to say. It's not your struggle, it's theirs. And remind them too that no feeling is final and that in this well, exactly. moment they may be feeling terrible, but you know, it it will pass. Exactly. And you know, just to kind of anchor them back into the present um mm-hmm. is so important. I mean, I know from my personal experience, a lot of the time when people have panic attacks, they literally think that they're dying. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the symptoms might be similar to like a heart attack or like your heart rates going crazy or you pass yeah. out or from hyperventilation and, and, you know, you need someone to kind of ground you. Um, and this is such exactly. this is such wonderful advice, I would just like to say. And, I, and please, whatever document you are reading <laughs> off of, please really, send our way. It's a PowerPoint. I can definitely send it your way. But yeah. like you kind of basically summed up the next point, which is like give that reassurance and that information. But then once again, like making sure you're not stepping outside of your scope. Um, right. So at that point, you want to encourage the appropriate professional help. Because at right. the end of the day, you can only do so much. Exactly. Like, no, I hate to say it like this, but like, know your place. Like, no. Exactly. Like, if you're not a psychiatrist, don't be messing with somebody's meds or like, don't yeah. be giving just like this podcast. Do not listen to this and be like, oh, my God. But Jana and Keith said, <laughs> I'm a dumb dumb. I don't know anything. So, like, do not <laughs> trust a word I say. Listen, I'm, I'm just here recording and editing this thing. I'm just here to look. I'm just here to look pretty. I'm the, I'm the face of the podcast. I mean, I can, I'm just, yeah. I'm just here for the Instagram likes. I'm what? <laughs> That's what I'm here but for. Definitely, yeah. But seek that professional help, the, what's most applicable to the person. And then, like, once again, maybe, like, look into some of, like, those self-help strategies, support strategies. But at the end of the day, it's their life. It's their decision. They can take whatever advice they want or not. 
and right. you can't you can't take it especially like thinking back with work you can't take it personally right it's, and it's very especially at first it's very hard not to it's very hard not to because you're tra- you're there you're trying to help you're making a difference and it's like I'm not going to listen to you and it's like why not ouch. I know it's like I out I know it's like that whole you know that Ron Swanson uh meme I know more than you um a lot of it stems stems from that but then you just once again check that bias like no I can't take this personally it's not my decision it's not my life right I don't know what they're going through I can I can only empathize so much right and that's also an important thing to remind yourself of too Mm. amen amen sister this is just a little funny thing that I thought of back when you guys were talking about the questionnaires um, well, as speech therapists, we actually use a lot of questionnaires, maybe not super related to mental health, but especially when we're trying to get some like self-perceptions, like we do it for, um, for people's feelings about their voice, like maybe how their brain injury or something affects their qual- a lot of quality of life measures, um, because counseling is a big part of our role, but <laughs> it made me think of a questionnaire And it really, you really have to look at how they're worded and how, like, what are, what's the rating scale like? And look at, are the questions written in a way, like, am I being judged or based on how I answer, kind of taking all of those into consideration. In one of my classes, we actually got to use some of these scales and like questionnaires on, like on each other and just see how things go. I administered one on my friend and it told her based on the way she answered that she had like a, a mild cognitive impairment. And that's not true. It's just because, oh, I didn't answer the way I was supposed to. Now I have some sort of impairment. So just looking at those questionnaires, like look at them big picture, like really look at the questions. What are they asking? Because those Unfortunately, those can like, and you should obviously not go off of those. If you're going to diagnose, you need a lot more criteria than that to do anything like that. But I just thought it was a little, a little interesting, like, huh, just because I didn't answer the way I should have mild cognitive impairment. Great. Well, that's almost, that could almost be comparable (laughs) to like self-diagnosing on Google. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you have a cold, but you're like, no, (laughs) no, I'm dying. No, I I have to amputate my finger now. Like it's not just a paper (laughs) cut. Like. Well, and I will say that I find the questioner that I found is is a pretty general one, but mm-hmm. um, uh, and there's something called uh, the Beck Depression Inventory, which okay. out of all the questionnaires I've ever been offered, uh, I found that to be the most worthwhile. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you are in a situation where you are in the process of being diagnosed or in the process of trying to get medication or some kind of healthcare in terms of, of your mental health. Um, I had it, I, I got it. Um, it's similar to the questionnaire, but it asks more in-depth questions. It measures, depending on your response, has like a, a value to it, a numerical value. And at the end, you add up all the numerical values similar to the other questionnaire, um, but it's a lot more in-depth. There's way more questions that are very specific and non-biased and then at the end you add up all the numbers and then there's a scale and depending on what number you fall on the scale uh diagnosis how severe your um depression is and Mm -hmm. also i'm sure 
you can commiserate. Like I know for me as a music, as a future music therapist, I, it will not be a part of my job description to diagnose people, but it is important to be aware of what makes up what disorder. Mm-hmm. Like obviously schizophrenia, you have delusions and you have uh, hallucinations, like like things like that. But um, thing, like when you have clients that are like that, like not every schizophrenia patient is going to present the same way. Exactly. So just, like you said, just being aware of what's out there, being willing to do the research and yeah. look into look into reliable and valid measures of treatment too, so that like they're getting the best out of therapy things like that. We want to make sure that we're upholding like our professional standards so that like, we're not, we're not causing any harm. We don't want to do that. That's kind of like the opposite of what a therapist does. Like we, like we, we want to do good. We don't want to like harm people. Like obviously I hope that most of the people that go into this field want to help people. (laughs) Kind of Akko tacos if that wasn't the case, but no, I'm very glad that you brought up that point. And um, I, I'm hopeful that by having more conversations and really being real and blunt about what it, what it is like, then people can go into situations and be like, okay, I know what I need to do. I know that I can go to my general doctor. I can use this you know, use this resource to figure out how to bring up the conversation and I can go get some help. And I know that if it doesn't work for me, then I know I can go to another doctor. Like it doesn't just stop mm-hmm. with this one yeah. thing. Um, and that just being a small facet of an even bigger systemic issue of there are, you know, people who are even way worse off than mm-hmm. people who would just have general um, anxiety or or clinical depression uh, that we also need to be aware of and understand how complicated that system is as well. I just think it's important just to, obviously, you know, not everyone listening to this is going to be like, can't wait till I check myself in to the, <laughs> you know, to the, lo- the local, you know, psych ward. But yeah. I think it's just important as like, as you start your journey use that as, as a, as a platform to keep, keep continuing the conversation so that your side of things is talked about more and hopefully will elicit some kind of positive change. And we won't be having these conversations anymore. And, uh, we'll be talking about something else. Like put us out of work. We don't want to, we don't want to have to talk about it anymore. Right. But it's work. Just like, yeah, just, can we like, just fix it, please? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Can we, well, even fix, can we just, like you said, can we talk about it first? We need to talk about it. Can we have a little, can we have a chat? Can we, can we talk? <laughs> a little chit chat, a little coffee talk? <sighs> well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry, Keith. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just, I get. Monopolize the time here. So sorry. There's some episodes that I just get too excited and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to bulldoze everyone. (laughs) Jana, your mental illness is showing. I'm just kidding. Or am I? Anyway, I think that this is a perfect place for us to start wrapping up. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us for bringing light to something that's not talked about a lot and giving your perspective. 
we who it's, don't work within the system don't know what it's really like behind closed doors. So thank you so much for your insight this episode. Yes, thank you once again so much for having me. I really appreciated hopping on and talking, hopefully spreading some awareness. It's what I'm here for. You guys are doing great with this. We're doing so God's work. For you. God's doing work. God's work. It's God's <laughs> will. It's God's will. Okay. <laughs> so now that we're wrapping up, uh, just a reminder, uh, here are a couple different resources that you can obviously utilize if you yourself are someone that you know is struggling. In addition to what we shared today. In addition to what we shared today, uh, all of the links and resources obviously will be available uh, on our social medias in the description of the episodes, uh, just in case you miss them. But here are just some of the resources that we always bring up at the end of every episode. Uh, if you need help right now. Uh, for example, we have Psychology Today, uh, which is a website slash magazine where you can find therapists in your area that are covered by your insurance. Uh, we also have the suicidepreventionlifeline.org website. Um, if you are uncomfortable going that route, you can also uh, go to the Crisis Text Line, uh, text REASON to 741741. It's free, confidential, and 24-7 access for help. And definitely please check out the resources that we mentioned earlier, uh, including the different questionnaires and the worksheet on how to approach your doctor about talking about mental health. Take it away, Keith. You know, I'm trying to figure out how I could twist it a little bit because now you mentioned the social media. It's like, oh, wait, I'm usually the social media guy. But here's how I could expand upon it. Yeah, I mean, it's not just the resources. It's just whatever. When there's a new episode... Boom, you know about it if you follow our social media. Exactly. In addition, I mean, expanding on the social media, I don't even know if we've said this enough, but if you aren't subscribed to the podcast, subscribe to it. You should do it, because, like, you should. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and rating. Tell us how we're doing. But be nice about it. I am very sensitive. She's very sensitive. Very sensitive. Which is, like... Kind of self-explanatory with the topic of this podcast. <laughs> Anywho, things may not always be easy. But don't forget to try to stay on the bright side. Until next time, bye. Bye. <laughs>